Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are super excited to have Kelly Fulcrot on our podcast today. She is going to be discussing how she's been <clears throat> excuse me, questioning um, big pharma um, for over 15 years now and really is what has happened during the COVID pandemic, the government-created pandemic, I like to call it. Um, it just really confirmed her suspicions. So she has a story well before COVID, and we have her on here to discuss some personal uh, vaccine injuries she had before the COVID vaccine um, and how medical in the medical profession um, we have gaslighted patients and moms like her um, to say that it's just not possible these things happen so and as you guys know if you follow us enough we you have found out that this is more common uh, this is not a unique situation every situation is unique but um, this is the, happening more and more and we are trying to just share these incidents so um, people can be well educated and our and our goal of this podcast is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health so Kelly welcome to our show Thank you so much. Here. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on, Kelly. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about your backstory? Sure. So I've been working in the mental health field for over 20 years now. Um, been licensed and running my own holistic private practice clinic for almost 14 years. And it was probably about 10 years into my career in the in the field where I really started questioning everything that I was taught in graduate school. Um, so I tell people that, you know, I spent a lot of money on getting my degree and my credentials and I had somewhat of a spiritual awakening 10 years in where I was like, oh, basically everything I've been taught and indoctrinated into is, is untruth. And so then I set on this quest of like really trying to understand what actual healing was by going to different cultures and seeing how they approached healing. And obviously it's not with pharmaceuticals. So I learned really quickly that nobody was healing with psychotropics. I never saw it. I've worked in a variety of settings, um, inpatient, psychiatric hospitals, substance abuse facilities, I even did a stint, and I still feel dirty about admitting this, but I even did a stint before private practice of working with um, inpatient psychiatric hospitals that were bringing um, depression drugs to market. So I was managing and organizing research studies for Big Pharma. So I really got to see the belly of the beast and how these studies were done. And that was a real eye-opener for me. That was approximately 15 years ago when I saw how the industry sponsored um studies were being done. Number one, they were throwing away data that didn't support their product. Number two, the inclusion and exclusion criteria was garbage. <laughs> they would just exclude people that they thought were going to make the drug look bad. And number three, the, the longest term follow-up we had was three months. So we would study these depression drugs for a total of three months, and then the FDA would give the green light to, to introduce this to the market. And so that was my, my entry to red pill of, okay, like if the drug companies are the ones that are funding these studies and they're throwing away negative findings <laughs> and cherry picking different people to put into these studies, and then there's no long-term follow-up, we have no idea what these 
psychoactive drugs are doing to the brain long term. That was that was this quest for me of like, okay, the West doesn't understand healing. The medical model absolutely doesn't understand psychological trauma. Um, so what do we do with people? <laughs> if drugs, drugs are obviously not the cure. You can ask any long-term mental health patient, have you been cured by these drugs? And if they're being honest, they'll say no. This is at best a band-aid approach. But I would make the argument that it's actually... These, these chemicals are toxic and they're actually causing brain injuries. And so that's what the last six years of my practice has been focused on is supporting people who are either in protracted withdrawal from too quick of a taper from a psych drug or who are working in conjunction with federal, um, functional medicine practitioners to do a slow taper while we're also monitoring what's going on with the hormone endocrine system, the gut. Because really, whether we're talking about vaccine injuries or psych drug withdrawal injuries, the gut is the focus. Um, it's really like the brain is, is one thing, but it's really all starting with, with gut health. And that's what these drugs um, attack. So that's well, kind if, of, if you don't have a healthy gut, you can't absorb good nutrients and you don't have a good immune system and your body can't repair and recover. Um, it starts in the gut. It starts and it ends in the gut. And 95% of the body's serotonin is manufactured in the small intestine, as well as most of all of the neurotransmitters, progesterone and estrogen. And so in graduate school, this is an example of the nonsense I was taught. I was taught that everything happens at the brain. We would do animal studies. We would chop up brains of mice and study where the SSRI went. And it was all about the brain. And fast forward 10 years and I'm like, no, no, the enteric nervous system is actually the first brain. And that's where really so much of these pharmaceuticals are attacking. It's at the gut level and sharing some of the experiences that I've seen with clients, whether it's vaccine injury or protracted withdrawal and what, what's actually happening at the gut. And when we can start to address um, leaky gut is one of the main issues that I see. When we can start to address that, we can get people towards the trajectory of healing. Absolutely. Uh, Janet, what questions do you have for Kelly? Well, <laughs> so I imagine you've lost some colleagues along the way. What has that been like? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, we know that feeling. <laughs> you know, especially with COVID, but even before that, um, I've been, you know, I've done the circuits with conferences and presentations. I've been doing that for quite some time in my career. And then I stopped getting invited to things when people started calling me anti-med or that I was med shaming. And it's not, I'm not, look, by all means, we're never going to live in a drug-free society. We never will. We never have. We never will. Whether that's um, street drugs or pharmaceutical drugs, I'd, I'd actually argue that street drugs are probably a little safer <laughs> in terms of withdrawal, because we understand that withdrawal better. We have better long-term studies on, on withdrawal symptoms from street drugs than we do from psych drugs. Well, um, and let me just hit on that too. It's here's one of the problems. And Janet and I talk to patients and people about this all the time is that when something is prescribed and it's legal, then, then um, patients just think, well, it's okay to be on it the rest of my life because right. my doctor said so. Right. And, you know, whether it be a medication for sleep, whether it be anxiety or whether it be a medication to, to treat reflux or something, they think, well, it's got to be safe here. I might, it, it, it's legal and my doctor said so. It's like, well, no, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Not long term. Yeah. And this is what's happening with psychedelics. And we can put a pin in that because I'd love to speak to psychedelics 
you know, becoming mainstream as a mental health treatment. It's, it's just rebranded chemicals in my opinion. Um, but back to the loss of colleagues, the loss of friendships. I mean, it started with me speaking out about psych drugs, but then obviously with COVID, um, I have lost long-term friendships, obviously colleagues, family members. Right. And it's, the beautiful, wonderful thing, though, is that I've also gained um, new people into my yeah. support network yeah. and people that I probably never would have connected with prior to. And so um, I lost a lot. That was really hard for me. I mean, I was being attacked um, and nobody wanted to hear, you know, as a mother, my child experiencing a vaccine injury from from their from childhood immunizations. Nobody wanted to hear that part of my story and why I was making this choice for my family. Um, but I consider it, you know, one of the silver linings of COVID is is the new network of, of connections that I have with people who seek truth and freedom. Yeah, I agree. It's we have a similar story. We we lost colleagues, we lost friends, we lost family members, but we gained a lot. Yeah. In fact, speaking of that, um, because of this, we are having a, a medical freedom Northwest conference um, in September and something we never thought, you know, if you would ask us three years ago or three and a half years ago, if we'd be doing something like that, we would have said, what would we do that for? But um, so, you know, of like-minded healthcare professionals where we can, um, you know, share similar stories and share fixes. I mean, what are we going to do in the future? Cause it's not going to go away. Yes. These things are still happening and they'll continue to happen. So we need to gather as like-minded people and, and have some ideas to share. So. Well, I also think, you know, in this storyline that hopefully we can get back to the place where we actually can question things because, you know, people assume that we have all the answers when it comes to healthcare, but that's not the case. And when we move forward and find treatments or find, you know, new ways of therapy or surgical treatments or whatever we're working towards, it takes us thinking outside of the box because we don't always have the answers, right? And if we can't ever question things, we'll never move forward. Yes. So tell us, let's get back on the psych drugs because I, I, I want to uh, talk about that. Um, you know, you're, you're not a believer in using them long term. And so tell us what some of the fixes are. I, we've got some of our own ideas that we talk to patients about, too. So tell, tell us what some of the fixes are. If drugs aren't the answer to uh, um, psychotropics. Yeah. And I'm I am somewhat of a purist. I really don't think they're really needed. I mean, if somebody is in, let's say, a psychotic episode and they're becoming violent then maybe very yeah. short term. I'd actually argue though, that there could be herbs that would do the same level of sedations as antipsychotics. Do I have um, randomized controlled trials to support that? No, because <laughs> there's no money in herbs that you can't, you know, so, um, but in general, so my approach is um, trauma is the root of all mental illness. It's not a chemical imbalance. We've already got, now we've got with Joanna Moncrief, we've got scientific evidence showing that the, the chemical uh, imbalance theory of depression is debunked. It's never been true. That was a marketing campaign <laughs> by the drug companies to sell you um, serotonin. And so um, since we know that the chemical imbalance theory is incorrect, to me, it's trauma. So, so trauma happens when something overwhelming, emotionally overwhelming is happening to our nervous system. And at the time, we cannot process it. So the tissue, the fascia, the bones, the organs, your whole body 
holds that energy of fight, flight, freeze, right? So whatever you needed to do to get away from that danger and you couldn't, your body's going to hold that energy. And that's what mental illness is. Whether it's ADHD or anxiety or depression, it's trapped energy in the nervous system that needs to move. The body has homeostasis. The body, I believe we have a creator and our creator loved us so much that we have this innate intelligence in, in our nervous system for healing. It gets um, sidetracked when there's trauma that's trapped in the nervous system. And so if, if I get a cut on my arm and there's blood splurting out, right, I don't have to consciously say, oh, I need my red blood cells to coagulate and start to form a scab, right? No, I don't. My autonomic nervous system is like, hey, I got this. I know what to do. I'm going to heal you, right? Well, our unconscious mind has the same capacity. It's just that if there's trauma lodged in our tissues, that that form of homeostasis can't work at the unconscious level. And so my job is to help people with different um, somatic or body based tools. So I'm not a traditional there. We don't sit on the couch and talk. My, my goal is not to have people in my office for 10 years, that there are a lot of wounded healers in this profession that are invested in you being sick and and unwell (laughs) Um, because that's good for the business model. But so I have training in yoga therapy. I've done yoga for over 20 years. Um, I don't teach it in public ways, but it's more of um, how can we get into the somatics of what's happening in your nervous system? So there's the yoga therapy, somatic experiencing and internal family systems, these different tools to get people not just in their conscious ego mind, but what is happening in my body as I notice or we touch on a specific traumatic memory that's happening. Because the body is the unconscious mind. It keeps the score. It's the record keeper of everything that's ever happened to us. And if we're not including the body into the treatment process for mental health, we're spinning our wheels and wasting money and time. Um, but I see people healing all the time <laughs> and, and, it, and it's, it's so much more empowering to offer people education and tools about how their nervous system works and how the unconscious mind works and how it's actually only them that can heal that. Not me, not a doctor, not a spiritual teacher, not a guru. There's nobody outside of you that can do your healing work. It's up to each individual. And that's one of the biggest lies we've been sold, I think, in terms of the medical model is that you need to go to the doctor in the white coat and he's the, he or she is the expert of you. You don't know enough about you. It's somebody over here that has all the answers and they're going to give you this pill or this medical procedure that's going to fix you. And that could not be any farther from the truth. That's one of the biggest lies we've ever been sold. Yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, sadly they're, you know, there are patients that are on psychotropic drugs that are told that they'll need them for the rest of their yeah. life. And, you know, instead of changing a lifestyle, I mean, Jan and I are big about preaching lifestyle. And, you know, when we when we think about psychotropic drugs, sometimes um, antidepressants, even though you've been talking about the SSRIs, sometimes the antidepressants get forgot about. But the biggest the biggest drugs for mental health that, that are prescribed are definitely antidepressants, probably by far and away. Yeah. And um it's amazing how many people are on them and on them long term. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know enough about the studies to tell you the truth. I don't look into them enough anymore because I don't believe studies that are yeah. funded by big pharma. I just don't. So I don't care about the studies. I really don't. Well, we we get we get ladies that are told, you know, um, menopause is 
treated with antidepressants or hot flashes are treated with antidepressants. Right. And it's like, are you serious? I know, right. Hot flashes treated with antidepressants. I mean, that is such an inversion of truth. That's like saying somebody that's PMDD or, you know, really difficult periods that they need an antidepressant. Oh, we hear that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then because, so I see women from um, adolescence as teenagers when their period is first coming online all the way through menopause. So I get to see all these different rites of passage that the hormonal system is going through in the female. And for um, a woman who's postpartum at the six week checkup to be told, so they get the, uh, the standard OBGYNs are going to give you this checklist. It's called the Edinburgh and no, look, no woman is going to feel like themselves six weeks postpartum. You're not sleeping. Yeah. Hormones are on a roller coaster. You're exhausted, but they give them these screeners. And if you score, you know, in the depression range, you're offered 50 milligrams of Zoloft. That, that is standard of care. And this is part of what I'm educating women on is like what I've seen over and over in my practice is women will get put on these SSRIs postpartum because they don't understand hormones and then they want to come have their second baby and they can't get off the SSRI no matter how hard they try. Right. Now, um, antidepressants during pregnancy, there's actually is some good research on this. And this is going to be a controversial statement, but I know this to be true by, by multiple cases that I've seen is that antidepressants during pregnancy are linked to autism, hands down. This isn't even about, but I mean, then, then, <laughs> then you start vaccinating the baby on top of that. So that is well established in the literature. People don't talk about it, um, but you, I, so many psychiatrists will use this fear mongering with pregnant women and say, well, it's more dangerous for the baby for you to have a dep depressive episode while you're pregnant than to just stay on the antidepressant, which, which is a blatant lie. <laughs> and look, there are good doctors. There are. There are well-meaning doctors and nurses in the field that have just gotten wrong information because they've been educated by the pharmaceutical industry. They bring them free lunches. They have all these incentives. So they're getting their information. They're, they're the biggest sponsors of medical schools and pharmacy schools. Well, yeah, all the Ivy yeah. League, all the Ivy League um, institutions in America are, are so intertwined with the pharmaceutical company. It's an indoctrination program. Yeah. Well, we are two pharmacists that say that agree with that. Uh, it's, it's not just Ivy League. I went to University of Washington. Right. Uh, it's, back and it's all of the big ones. I went to University of Texas and the amount of funding that was coming in um, through the psychology labs, you know, for drug companies was astounding. And this was when I was like 18 or 19. I was like, oh, why, why are we getting so much money? I don't understand this. And so it's. It's fascinating, you know, how how much money is, you know, the billions of dollars this industry has and really that it controls the mainstream media. Yeah, for sure. Well, the sad thing about postpartum is they're not touching the root of the problem, right? They just add another Band-Aid or another fix that adds another layer of issues to the problem. And, you know, I it, we do know how to treat postpartum, but we don't do it. We, we, we close off the people that do it very successful and say, you know, that's, you know, but usually it's a good fix and it works and it, it may work, you know, the next around without harming an yeah. infant or a baby or a mom. Yes. Well, and when we talk about, uh, you know, not just postpartum depression, but depression in general, um, first of all, you talked about your, um, you know, the body you know, homeostasis, our body is, 
is um, is is made to take care of itself. Well, of course it is. Our our our, our body is created wonderfully, um, yeah. and, and there might be times we need we need drugs um, acutely, um, but. If, but here's one of the things too: to keep our body in homeostasis, um, we have to feed it the right things. That's so you right. got to eat right for one. That's right. And, and I argue this about depression all the time. And I can tell you, I've had acute and maybe even some more chronic episodes of depression. I think I think it, it can hit all of us, depending on what happens in our lives. Yeah. Um, and acutely, I will tell you this um, personally, and I know many people that have had the same same response: the best antidepressant ever invented. I'm going to put you on the spot, Kelly. What's mm-hmm. the best antidepressant ever invented? Well, it, there's a tie, but exercise. <laughs> there it is. Boom. No further. You need yeah, to go further. That, and that, that is, that is, is. in the research. There is tons of research showing that um, elevated heart rate, you know, at least 30 minutes, five times a week is comparable to SSRIs. That's well established in the literature, um, as is two to three hours spent outside in nature. So nature and, and really what I've been, I've gone down the rabbit hole of um, proper sunlight exposure and fixing your light life. So this is part of the lifestyle management. So obviously eating clean, organic, grass-fed kinds of meats. I personally have a bias that I think people need meat in order for the brain to function properly. Um, I know there's a smear campaign on meat right now. (laughs) Of course course there is. Sponsors that because big pharma wants people sick. That's exactly right. They want us on a plant-based diet because that will cause, um, the brain to not function properly and we're, we're easier to control under that, that state of consciousness. So, um, but waking when the sun is rising, watching the sunrise, the very first hour of sunlight is the most healing to the human nervous system. It shuts down melatonin. It starts vitamin D production. It balances hormones. Like if you've got a a woman who's postpartum or perimenopause, it's like, okay, well, I need you to start. Don't look at your screen the first thing or at night, you're going to follow the rhythms of the sun and the sun is free. The sun, we've been lied to about the sun. Sunblock is what actually causes cancer. It's not the sun. And I know that's a radical statement, but do your research. If you are wearing sunglasses, you are blocking the healing light of the sun. And you are, then you, if you wear sunglasses, then you do need sunblock. Um, But think about before the industrial revolution, when we didn't have sunblock and humans were outside all the time. They and, developed. We skin, and we didn't have a lot of skin cancer. And we didn't. And, and it's really more of the seed oils and the toxic food supply yeah. that we have that's fueling the skin cancer, right? But that's that's for another podcast. <laughs> but exercise for sure is paramount. And this is the problem with a lot of protracted withdrawal from psych drugs and the vaccine injuries is a lot of these people become exercise intolerant, heat intolerant. They literally cannot exercise. Their nervous system cannot tolerate it. And so um, this is something I'd like to discuss is how our hands get tied um, in treating some of these injuries. Number one, pharmaceuticals don't, <laughs> pharmaceuticals only exacerbate the vaccine injuries and the psych drug withdrawal. They make everything a million times worse. Even well-meaning supplements can cause detox reactions in people or have paradoxical reactions to something that should be benign or pretty mild. So we're in this very wild time of these 
debilitating injuries. Uh, and I could share some of the, you know, case studies of, of seeing of people being completely debilitated, cannot work, cannot go to school, no income. Right. And, um, and we don't, we can't throw pharmaceuticals at it and we can't throw most supplements at it. So what do we do? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I mean, when you look at it, we, we had early on during the government created pandemic, we had um, Sam Tran on and he actually, he fled communism when he was seven years old. So his parents told him right away, it's like, Sam, this is this is communism. What yep. they're doing, locking down the country and stuff, this is exactly what they do in communist countries. And we had him on our podcast early on. And I mean, he had some wild statements. And I'm just thinking, I wasn't ready for him yet. Right. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, yeah, he was right. And one thing he said is he used to work for Big Pharma. Smart guy. And, and he worked in the oncology industry. And mm. it was so unethical. He had to leave. And, and I mean, I, I, I think the oncology industry is, I don't think we cure cancer. I think we kill people. Oh, a hundred million percent. Right. The amount of money that is made in yeah. chemotherapy and radiation, they don't want, they know, they know the holistic cures for it, but that's, you don't, you don't make millions yeah. of dollars that way. And, and he said this, he said, big pharma creates problems with their drugs. So later on when you have side effects, they can cure them or, you know, they can have you on drugs for the rest of your life. And I mean, you look at, you look at drugs, like for instance, NSAIDs, anti-inflammatory drugs, right after anti-inflammatory drugs came out, what came out? Um, Zantac, Prilosec, all those drugs to treat stomach problems that the NSAIDs cause. I mean, yeah. And I mean, you could make a good argument that, um, you know, I mean, the list goes on about the problems those drugs cause with uh, vitamin D absorption and then osteoporosis and, and all that kind of stuff. But you can make an argument that the that the vaccine company or the vaccines that are created, um, they know that they cause long term problems. But again, most of the time they go to a traditional doctor that's going to treat them with traditional drugs. So the pharmaceutical companies win again. I mean, seriously, it's it is a brilliant, evil genius business plan that they've created. <laughs> I know. Right. And I got it. One of our, one of our listeners, our loyal listeners and viewers, Wayne Bailey says, I love this information. I'm not crazy. Yes, Wayne. No, you're not crazy. And believe me, I've been told I'm crazy. So is Janet. We've been told that for 20 years yeah. now. And now the yeah. truth is coming out. So thank you, Wayne, for listening. I got another yeah. comment. I got a, I got a, I'm stream on here. Another loyal listener and viewer, Laura Vest Turner. OBGYN wanted me to take wanted me wanted to keep me on SSRIs during pregnancy because she said it was safe. Thankfully, I didn't listen. Laura, you're much smarter than that. You realize that drugs are not the answer, and so you uh, go ahead, Kelly. What are you going to say? I just I'm so glad Laura made that choice and followed her mother's intuition. Um, but back to the this create the problem, create the solution. So this is really what I wanted to share today is what I've been seeing clinically. Yeah. Is so um, the vaccine. Let's start with the vaccine injuries ushering people into psychiatry. So this is where my two worlds start to collide um, and and see this synergistic effect. So um, I have. I have worked with at least 10 people who have had um, some of these were existing clients and some that were new that came to me who have had an extreme uptick in, in psychiatric symptoms. So specifically insomnia, anxiety, panic attacks, 
tinnitus or tinnitus, whatever you want to call that. But the ringing in the ears can be so extreme. It's very common after the vaccines. It can be so extreme that it literally drives people to suicide because it's at night. It's like people can't fall asleep. I mean, it's debilitating. Um, Neuropathy, tingling in the hands. But this one has been very curious to me, depersonalization, derealization, and people that don't have extreme trauma history. So DPDR is in essence when it feels like you're soul or your spirit has left the body. Um, we see this in extreme forms of PTSD and trauma, that that's the nervous system's adaptation to extreme forms of trauma, but this is happening with the vaccine injury and nobody really understands why yet. So you, so what's happening is people will go before they come to me, they'll go to their doctor, the ER or, or, um, some kind of urgent care clinic either in a panic attack or, or something like that, or having me, like, I can't feel my arms. I can't feel my legs. And, um, the doctor or the ER physician will say, there's no way. Cause they're like, I, this, this happened after I got the shot. This I've never experienced this before in my now, life. Can you, j- just to qualify that, um, will you talk about what vaccine or are you talking about all vaccines? I, well, I, right now I'm speaking about the COVID vaccine. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And in America, so I'm I'm also keeping track of what manufacturer did you have, Moderna, Pfizer, or James. and lot number and lot number, because and yeah. we can talk about that in a second. Um, but so this is COVID vaccine that it obviously yeah. runs true for the flu vaccine and all the others. But that I think that this was a rush job. I mean, vaccines take in in normal times, eight to 10 years to properly test and do all the testing on humans because of the emergency use authorization. We didn't do that. We skipped over um, a bulk of the human trials and warp speed, right? So, um, but they're told by their doctors, there's no way the vaccine could have done this to you. You're just anxious. You need a benzo. So that's the book of what I'm saying. But then I've had five people tell me, they told me I was psychotic, not just anxious, and that I need antipsychotics and that I have never had a psychotic episode. I've never had a mental health issue. And all of a sudden I'm being prescribed antipsychotics. Um, and so when people like that show up to me, I educate them on the risks. I mean, the the endocrine system risks of a antipsychotic are, are grave. I mean, it's, it's very damaging to yeah. the body. Um, so I advise people to avoid that. Um, but then I've worked with quite a few people. So I've been volunteering with React 19 and coordinating their mental health efforts for almost mm-hmm. a year now. And um, so I get to hear a lot of different uh, cases that way as well. And so I'm working with a woman right now who has prescribed five different psych drugs because of her injury. Didn't know it yet. Hadn't, had never had a mental health history, had never been to therapy, didn't have trauma, was at the prime of her career in her 50s, like a boss, right? And so disabled that she was bedridden for over a year and was prescribed five different psych drugs. Uh, and then she realized that the psych drugs were making everything worse, making because most of these are neurological injuries. There are ca- cardiac in- injuries, but what shows up in my clinic is, is neurological yeah. primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she then tapered way too quickly off of all the psych drugs and then was in the hellacious pit of psychiatric drug withdrawals on top of a neurological injury from the vaccine, which ignited um, mast cell activation to the point where she could literally only eat meat. She was having allergic reactions to the paint in her home. I mean, it, it, (laughs) 
when people could really start to hear the level of disability that th- that these shots have caused and actually listen to these people um it's we are looking at casualties of war this is um these are casualties and the the conundrum is that their voices are being silenced and and most people don't hear these stories or have access to this information or are going to gaslight them and say oh that person's just crazy i'm fine and so that's part this is part of their evil genius they didn't give us they didn't give humanity 100% of the batches that were going to kill people they didn't give the kill shot all at once because <laughs> then they would have had to pull it off the market immediately right and so i was at a conference a few weekends ago and dr mccullough was presenting the statistic that it's four percent of the batches that were botched and this is how they get away with it it's i know people who are vaccinated who are just fine right and so um and so they're like well i'm fine how could this person be bedridden and unable to work or how could this person have died suddenly i'm fine and that's part of it the other issue is aspirating when the injection goes in so there's so much variability in um the the protocols of actually giving the injection which arm it goes in right there's a lot of different variables that can make this a kill shot or something that's somewhat benign. Um, and, and I think that's how they're getting away with this. But then if we look at VAERS data, right? I mean, there is there is information showing, like research showing that it's highly underreported. There is a statistic that one to 10% of, of the adverse reactions actually get reported and, and are uploaded into that, that um, program. But the, now there's talk that they're kind of cleaning that database out. Um, I mean, <laughs> But even if you go and look, you can go and download the VAERS data just from 2023. They are still reporting adverse reactions to the COVID vaccine. Um, And this isn't even including all the childhood vaccines. But in 1986, I'm sure you all know, um, Congress passed uh, the the National um, Childhood Vaccine um, Adverse uh, injury vaccine injury act, which basically makes it to where the drug manufacturers have no liability. And so um, that right there should stop you in your tracks. Absolutely. You should question (laughs) it. How can you not question that? Yeah. It's the only industry I know of that, you know, washes are that, that is protected from, from any kind of um, liability from liability of their product. I, I don't know of another industry that is, yeah. Um, that alone has to be a red flag, whether you're a layperson, a pharmacist, a doctor, you've got to, hmm, I mean, seriously. And and if you look and if you, you follow RFK Jr., he talks a lot about that. And if you and just think about it, and this is just true, anybody can do the research. Um, the vaccine schedule for, for children just went sky high after that. Of course it did. Why not just give them anything? It doesn't matter if it's safe or not. I mean, right. we can hurt them and we don't have it. We, we can't get sued. Right. Why not do it? Right. You know, I mean, I, you know, um, yeah. You know, I was going to go back. So you go in, you think you have a vaccine injury. You think you're injured by the COVID vaccine. And they basically give you psychotropic drugs because they think you're crazy. Yes. But here's where we're at in medicine. But you go in and you're born a, a, a biological male. And you <laughs> say, you know, I just don't think I'm a male. I think I'm a female. And, I, I you know, I want to transition to a female. And they go ahead and do it. I mean, it, it, I mean, seriously, I, I know I just had to throw that in there because we've talked about this on our podcast. It's like some of the things that we have normalized in medicine is yes. just, is just 
it, it, you you never thought it would happen. And then some of the things that like you're talking about about things that just are more rational. It's like no, all this started after I had a vaccine. Oh no, you can't have that. Yeah, you know, yep. and yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, Ludicrous. We live in an upside down world where the inversion of truth is the norm. And yeah, I mean, you can look at it. People like the thing about the trans. Look, I'm all if you. I have trans rights for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But don't make that decision for a child. That should be a decision that's made when you're, when when you're 25, when your brain is fully formed. Because if you read some of the some of the case reports of these children, that, that they want to undo it, they want to go back. Yeah. And you're actually you become a victim of big pharma because the amount of hormones you have to be on for the rest of your rest life, life is a million dollar industry. Then you're on all these synthetic hormones. Then you have to take the blood, blood pressure medications and the cholesterol. But I mean, that's what this is really about. It's, it's actually about transhumanism. They're blurring the lines for the generation of my kids about, Oh, what's, what's a boy and what's a girl. There is none. It's what's just a human right? and what's an animal. And that, that's what this is about. What's yeah. a human and what's not. And when they say AI is already here, AI is already a part of this conversation that we're having, right? That once AI becomes um, smarter than humans, which will happen with six months to a year, the, the point of singularity when the supercomputer consciousness becomes smarter than us, <laughs> this is what the transhuman movement is about. And this is why they're doing it with the gender is they want a bulk of our humanity to get microchips implanted so that we blur the lines of what's actually human and what's cyborgs. Right. You know, three years ago, I would have said you're crazy. I know. You know, now, now, and here's what I here's what I tell myself, because, I mean, if you start thinking about some of these things, it, it could make you want to take psychotropic drugs. I mean, I, yes. I mean, it's like, man, I don't want that to happen. So let's just let's just be right. First of all, you know, let's, you know, believe that some somebody else in, is in charge with a lot more power than right. all of us. That's right. You know, um, and that that's the thing that really gives me comfort. Um. But second of all, let's just just think rationally. Our creator also gave us a rational brain. And I'm going to go back to you're talking about the sun. Um, you know, you were talking about you're trying to explain in detail about, you know, how well uh, when you, you know, when you see the sunrise in the morning, it, you know, decreases your melatonin. And probably when you see the sun go down at night, it, it stimulates melatonin. Right. And I'd say this all the time to my patients and, and to anybody. It's like I don't call myself a scientist. I don't call myself a smart person. I just think I want to think rationally. And, you know, you kind of almost and I'm sure you've done some research studies on the sun thing and stuff. But and there probably are some studies. I don't care about studies. Let's just think rational. Humans are created to, to work during the day, be up during the day and sleep at night. So why should we be surprised that the sun does good things in the morning to help us stay throughout the day? And it does things at night to help us sleep throughout the day or sleep through night. Why should we be surprised? We don't need some fancy study to prove that. I mean, seriously. Well, and why should we be surprised that they designed our technology, our smartphones with blue light as the, they didn't have to make blue light the backdrop of screens. They didn't, they could have made any other. So the invisible light spectrum, it, right? There's different colors, frequencies of light throughout the day. If I go out in the morning, I'm going to get a different color frequency. My eyes can't see it, but it's still an electromagnetic frequency. Blue, the blue light spectrum is the least healing. 
Yeah. <laughs> <That was> intentional. <laughs> right. um, I mean, but yeah, I, I it's in terms of like uh, uh, this being very demoralizing and scary information. Yeah, we can go there. And when you really start waking up to all the different layers of deception and how we have been, our minds have been programmed at the unconscious level to accept that vaccines are safe and effective with all of the movies and books and TV, right? For years, since I've been born, that message has been internalized, right? So when you really start to wake up to all the different layers of mind control that have been happening, it can be really scary and just like it can destabilize you. And so that's what the work I'm doing with the vaccine injured people. It's like, that's their red pill, obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> Up until that point, they were very trusting to, to all these healthcare professionals. And so coming to terms with the fact that evil is on this planet that can, that can slow us down. Or for me, this is why I wake up every day is that I know truth wins. I know <laughs> that the light will prevail. Will it be in my lifetime? I don't know. Um, but I know that I am in service to the light and the truth. And so I, I don't live in fear. <laughs> well, but, it, it can be really scary when you're it can be. And you know, sp speaking of the vaccine thing, I came to I came to light a few years ago on the vac on the on the whole vaccine, not just COVID vaccine, but all vaccines. Yes. And speaking of rational thinking, and this is just what I want our listeners and viewers to, to educate themselves on. And I just tell them this: whether they're whether it's lay people or whether it's healthcare professionals, I tell them this: How long has modern day vaccine technology been around? You could probably say the, the polio vaccine was probably the first major one, the Salk vaccine in the 1950s. So it's been around there, there, 70 years. Now, I know there's been certain vaccines that have been around before. Um, so largely the industry is 70 years old. Okay. How long have those viruses that our body's been fighting been around? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It didn't wipe out the population. Sure didn't. And, I mean, and seriously, just, that's just a rational question. And I know some people get heated about it and they will argue with me. I'm like, look, no, I want the answer. Did, did, did polio kill everybody and cripple everybody and put them on iron lungs before 1950? Right. No. Yes. It's tragic. Some people got polio. There, there's certain things we don't know about people's immune systems at that time. What happened during the time where they were they really stressed out? Where they did they have a bad diet? Did they have something else going on? Um we, we don't know because Janet has an aunt that had polio and there were 15 people in the family. Only one of them got polio. Yep. So, so, you know, just think rational about it. It didn't wipe out the earth before, wipe out the population before vaccines came. So why do we need vaccines for coronavirus that right. our lives have been fighting for thousands and thousands of years? Totally. Yes. They will argue it's a novel coronavirus. Okay. Sure. Well, but you know, Every virus has a little bit is a little bit different. Every um, bacteria is a little bit different. Possibly when it has resistance to antibiotics, it's still the coronavirus, and right. usually it it regresses back into its more native form. If it is a biological weapon, it usually regresses back into its native form, and we kind of find found that out that it's not as virulent or it's not as deadly anymore yep. as it was at first. And here's the reason why: because if a if a virus that needs a host to live if viruses aren't really alive, but they need a host to live. If they kill their host, it's not good. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, here we are, uh, you know, um, just rational about it. But we, but all of the, diff, the, the diet, the water, right. The media, like there's all these different layers that have disabled rational and logical thinking. Right. right? 
and that's by design. But yeah, if you trace, uh, viruses are actually part of how humans um, up level to the next level. And if you look at um, the original form of how language came on board in the human nervous system, it was through a virus. It was through a virus that attacked the nervous system. And this is what allowed us to start speaking language. So it's it, it, this attack on microbes. It's like we are bacteria. <laughs> That's what we are. And to be at war with ourselves or to be at war with the virus is kind of nonsensical. But back to like, why do some people get uh, polio or well, I would argue that um, a lot a lot of it was from the actual vaccine. Yeah, 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 right. But, um, but why do some people, so the statistic now that we have on the COVID vaccine of the most injuries are uh, females in between the ages of 36 to 64. Why? Um, something to do with hormones, right? Yeah, right. Also, the, the toxic burden that you're holding. So a big part of what I'm seeing in my practice is that the severely injured have the MTHFRG mutation, which I think comes from childhood vaccines, um, which you could either inherit from your parents or, you know, if you're just getting the regular, right? This is the vac childhood vaccines are gene therapy. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, but the, the, the pathogens, the heavy metals, um, latent viruses that are being activated, such as Epstein-Barr, Lyme's, um, all of, if your nervous system is holding a parasite, for example, and high toxicity with um, arsenic, you're probably going to be more likely to be injured from this onslaught of the chemical spill. I mean, we, again, will we ever fully know what was in these COVID vaccines? Maybe, maybe not. Now there's debate of were they even in mRNA? We don't know. Now, now there's information saying they aren't. Um, but I do think there's graphene oxide in them. And I think that if you have a, a high toxic burden already, psych drugs being one of those things, psych drugs are high in heavy metals. They just, they are. <laughs> and so if your nervous system is already trying to clear out heavy metals or some kind of pathogen or some kind of latent virus, and then you, you have this chemical assault on it, that's what I think is tipping people over. And then if you have the MTHFR, which MTHFR is heavily linked to people who cannot withdraw from psych drugs, we have to look at the detox pathways within the body and which one is, is clogged or stagnant and it's different for everybody. And that's why there's so many different adverse reactions. It's not just one thing, right? It's all the different organ systems. Yeah, for sure. Um, boy, Kelly, we could go on and on. I, we got to have you on again to talk about some, some of these subjects so we can go more in detail. Um, um, as we wrap this podcast up, um, how do people get a hold of you if they have any questions? My website is organicmentalhealthcenter.com. Um, you can also find me um, on Instagram. I'm not the greatest at social media. Um, definitely reach out to me. I am in the process of a startup company. So we are creating a regenerative farm on some land that I inherited outside of the city in Austin. Where the first priority, because this has been in the family for over 100 years, is to heal the soil from conventional farming practices. So it has been heavily harmed by Roundup, glyphosate, and GMO seeds. So we got our work cut out for us of healing the soil. But then eventually what, what the vision is, is we're going to create a tiny home community where people can come work on the farm and safely taper off of psych drugs. But we're also going to have a wing for vaccine injuries now, too. <laughs> 
I love it. That's a, that's great. Well, you'll have to keep us informed on that and we can have a podcast subject about it. Mm-hmm. So personal question before we get off the show, because we know how important exercise is. Where do you exercise? So I've been an avid runner since high school. I, I, you look like a runner. <laughs> I'm a runner. I run almost every day. Um, I also do hit. It's funny. I've kind of taken a step back from yoga. Um more on that, but a lot of the new age practices uh, are being hijacked <laughs> in terms of the mindful yeah. stuff. And so I've taken a step back. I'm not saying yoga is bad. I'm just saying for me, um, hit and running are where it's at. Uh, I do a lot of cold plunge as well. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would be a sane person without exercise. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're meant to move, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. are created a move. So Kelly, I really appreciate you being on. We're going to have to have you on and talk about some other subjects. Um, keep me informed of your organic farm. I can't remember the name that you called it. Um, love to hear more about that. And you've helped us realize our goal today, which is to educate and empower people to take charge of their own health. So I really appreciate you being on Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. <laughs>